and well it should be. But uh, thanks for being a blessing uh, to Josh and Rachel. I know that they were excited about coming and the fact that you would partner with them uh, to see the gospel uh, go to Wesley Chapel, Florida, fastest growing county in the fastest growing state in our country. There's a great need for the gospel. And you can just throw a dart anywhere at any place in the country and know that there's a gospel need. So thank you for partnering with them. If you're ever down in Florida, in the Tampa area, I'm sure they would love to have you stop in, see the church. And it's going to be an exciting few months. And I know that you'll be praying, and I really do appreciate that so much. I bring you greetings from our folks over there at Faith. And uh, just a stone's throw away, really. And our men just love Makaira. They love it. I think we'd have a church split if I told them we weren't coming back to men's conference. Uh, they just love it. They get signed up early. And what you're doing here uh, is just amazing. So thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. And I do know many of the men, but I also know many of you ladies because you serve at Makaira. And uh, in the steak line, those are my favorite servants right there, the steak line ladies. Uh, but uh, all, all throughout the property, it's just a great event. And then I've known your pastor and Miss Michelle uh, for many, many years. And we go back to the Gospel Light Youth Camp. Anybody remember the Gospel Light Youth Camp? <laughs> okay, good. And uh, actually, my, my son Josh remembers the Gospel Light Youth Camp, but he was never really at camp. We, he, I, w I would take the family down, and, and I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a little bit of a. I'm going to confess some things tonight. So we we go to camp. Now I loved gospel at camp. I loved everything about it except for the cabins. So I didn't stay in the cabins. I stayed at the hotel in town. Okay, and my kids would come, and my wife would come, but they wouldn't come to the cabins. They would swim in the pool at the hotel. So Josh does not remember the the camp. He remembers the hotel pool. Uh, but he would at least come to the evening services, and we just had some great memories. And that's where I got to know Heath and Michelle way back in the day. And it's hard to believe that all these years have gone by. And it's just so good to see people serving the Lord and, uh, and hear faithful in this church. So thank you for coming tonight. Uh, I was wondering when, when Josh and Rachel told me that they're going to start a church in Florida, why would anybody want to start a church in Florida? But when I walked in tonight, I realized I'd like to start a church in Florida. I mean, it's freezing outside. So now I know. I want you to open your Bibles tonight, if you would, to the book of John. John chapter number 11 in your Bible. Familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, John chapter number 11. You'll recognize it immediately. It's a long chapter, 57 verses. It tells one story. Perhaps the most amazing story outside of Jesus' own story of his own resurrection is the story in John chapter 11. Because John chapter 11 represents the greatest miracle that Jesus did in his ministry. Now remember, the entire book of John was written for one purpose. And the one purpose in the book of John was that people would understand who Jesus is. That they would understand that he is the Messiah. And they would understand that he is the Son of God. And in that understanding, that they would believe on him. So the book of John has both an apologetic purpose, who is Jesus, and an evangelistic purpose, what do you do with Jesus? Uh, an apologetic, 
Who is he? He's the son of God and an evangelistic. He is the son of God. Therefore, put your faith and trust in him alone for salvation. That's, the, that's, really, that's why we pass out little booklets called John and Romans. Because the two books in the Bible that dedicate themselves entirely to really that salvation message is John and then Romans. So uh, what a great book to recommend to a new believer. Maybe you've just recently trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I recommend reading the book of John? And not just reading it superficially, but reading it and asking God to help you get a lot out of it. It's just such a tremendous uh, book to consider in the Bible. In John chapter 11, Jesus is in the final six weeks of his life. So think about this. We're only halfway through the book, but Jesus is six weeks away from dying on the cross. And these are the last days. By chapter number 12, we will be in the last week of Jesus' life. John chapter 12. Think about that. John has 21 chapters. From chapter 12 on, we're really just dealing with the last week in Jesus' life. And amazing. It's amazing. If you take all the chapters of all the Gospels, there's 89. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll find that almost one-third of those chapters deal with one week in Jesus' life. Do you think that maybe God wants us to zone in on, on, on one event? Do you think that maybe God wants us to zoom in on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus? Of course he does. That's the focal point. And that focal point is really being brought to view in John chapter 11. Because in John chapter 11, you have Jesus now who's been kicked out of Jerusalem. In John chapter 10, at the Feast of Dedication, you know it better as the Feast of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, Jesus was kicked out of town. The religious leaders actually picked up stones and they were going to execute Jesus. Mob rule in John chapter 10. And the Bible says that Jesus passing through the midst of them went his way. And so G Jesus is persona non grata in Jerusalem and in the entire Judea area. So here's what Jesus does. He leaves Jerusalem. Jerusalem all the way over here. He climbs up the Mount of Olives. He gets to the top and he heads down, 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 down. Because that's the only way you can go toward the Judean wilderness. And he gets to a place called Jericho. And Jericho is the lowest inhabited city in the world. Jericho. And it's warm. I mean, he's leaving in January. It's cold uh, in Jerusalem in January. But I'll tell you what, it's warm down in Jericho year round. And so it's a nice climate. Well, he doesn't stop at Jericho. He goes across the Jordan River to a place called Bethabara. You say, where's Bethabara? That's where Jesus got baptized. That's where Jesus began his ministry. So he's going right back to the beginning. He's going to a safe place. And there in Bethabara, the Bible says, people begin to listen to him. This is the end of John chapter 10. People say, uh, everything that John told us about him is true. And people began to, to hear him. So here he is over in Jordan. Now here's the interesting thing. When he's over in Jordan, he's in a place called Bethany. But when he left Jerusalem, he went through a village very near Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives, called Bethany. There are two Bethanies. There's the Bethany in Judea, and there's a Bethany beyond Jordan. And so Jesus is in this Bethany. And that's important because when we read uh, the passage here, it'll all make sense. So you have your Bible open, John chapter 11. Look at verse number 1. John chapter 11 and verse number 1. Uh, where the Bible says, if I, if I can get there, there we are. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, and he was named Lazarus. 
Now, Lazarus is, is the Greek version of the name. It's the, it's the Hebrew name Eleazar. That's Lazarus' name, Eleazar. And so a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus. Okay, let me see if you're awake tonight. A certain man was sick. His name was what? Oh, very good. That about half of you. Let's try that again, okay? A certain man was sick. His name was? Lazarus. Now, this is not the Lazarus that is in the, the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus. Uh, and Lazarus has a family. And w- watch his family here in verse number 1. Uh, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany. Now, watch this. That Bethany. That Bethany. The Bethany by Jerusalem. A certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of uh, Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment. We're going to read about that next chapter, John chapter 12. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. Well, now we've got it. Now we understand who this family is. We have two sisters. Martha, she's the older sister. She owns the house. Remember Mary and Martha? Remember Martha was cumbered about, much serving. Remember Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Remember that story? Luke chapter 10. That story has already taken place. So what do we know about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Here's what we know. We know that Jesus knew them. Jesus loved them. They knew Jesus, and they loved Jesus. And they supported Jesus' ministry. And it was not uncommon when Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for some of the feast times, like the Feast of Passover, or the Feast of uh, Pentecost, or the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Feast of the Dedication. It was not uncommon for Jesus to stay in someone's home. And it was not uncommon for Jesus to stay in their home. So they knew him. He knew them. That's important. Now, keep your Bible open. Skip down to verse number 14. So we're in John 11. And skip down, if you would, to verse number 14. Where Jesus is explaining to his disciples why they must now go to Bethany. They're in Bethany. They're in safe Bethany. They're in good weather Bethany. They're in Bethany where good things are happening, Bethany. But now they're going to go back to that Bethany. And the disciples don't want to go because that's essentially a death wish. You want to go back where? You want to go back to the place where people want to kill you? We don't want to go there. And Jesus says in verse number 14, Jesus said plainly unto them, Lazarus is dead. That's important. We'll talk about it. Lazarus is dead. And watch what Jesus says now in verse 15. This is almost counterintuitive to what we know about Jesus. Look at verse number 15. And I am glad, you see that verse 15? I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. So Lazarus is dead. They sent a message to him saying, come help us. Lazarus is sick. Jesus does not go and help them. Jesus does not show up. And then here he has the audacity to tell his disciples, and I'm glad I didn't show up. I'm glad I wasn't there. So under what conditions would Jesus say to people who love him and people whom he loves, under what conditions would he say to them, I was glad that I didn't show up when you wanted me to? Because typically we give testimonies like, boy, the Lord showed up. Just in the nick of time. But what happens when Jesus doesn't show up? Just in the nick of time. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Father, bless the message. We need your help. 
Anytime your word is open, we know that it's holy. Anytime your word is proclaimed, we know that it's powerful. Just because it has intrinsic power. But Lord, tonight I pray that you would do a work on the inside of every single heart. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would be glorified in what is said. I pray that we would be more than mere hearers of the word tonight. I pray that we would take that which we learn and apply it. Oh God, help us to be doers of your word. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for our salvation and even the freedom with which we can come and worship tonight. But we're asking that this would not just be a perfunctory performance of duty. I pray that tonight would be a night when we would truly sense your presence and make decisions that would honor you. Please, God, bless this message, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I travel quite a bit preaching in different places, and typically I'm gone for a day or two every week. And so it was some years ago that I was in a meeting in Michigan, the state of Michigan. Anytime you talk to someone from Michigan, they tell you where they live, and they put their hand out like that. And so I was in Michigan, kind of up here in Michigan, and I had flown from Pittsburgh back in those days through Chicago, and I was flying on an American Airlines flight, and then from Chicago, I flew up to a very nondescript airport called Traverse City, Michigan. Have you ever heard of that? Right on the lake, Traverse City, Michigan. If you've not heard about it, don't worry about it. There's like three gates at this airport. I mean, honestly, it was just the, one of the smallest airports I've ever flown into. And I flew in on a little plane. It might have had eight or nine seats, something like that. Just a really, really small plane. That doesn't bother me. I like small planes. Not at all. It was, as a matter of fact, it was a prop plane, a propeller plane. And we flew in, and uh, the person that was hosting me for that youth meeting picked me up, and we drove about an hour and 15 minutes on back roads until I finally arrived at this church. And I was pleasantly surprised. There were hundreds of teenagers at this youth rally, hundreds, a huge youth rally. And so I preached on that Friday night, had enjoyed myself, and then Saturday morning I said to the pastor, I said, now, Pastor, uh, I need to fly out. There's only one flight that flies out. I have to make my flight. And my flight's at Traverse City, and, and I need to be there at least 45 minutes in advance. Uh, so I need to leave at, and I gave him the time. It was late morning. And I was preaching that morning. It shouldn't have been a problem, but it was a problem. Because the services went on and on. And these sound, these sound people, these music people, they're the worst. I'm just telling you. You know, they just sing another verse, another verse, another verse, and the Lord touches their heart. They sing another verse. I don't need another verse. I wanted to preach another verse. So they're taking all the time, and they're doing these skits, and it's taking forever, and I'm kind of looking at my watch, looking at my watch, looking at my watch, until finally uh, they got me up. I had 19 minutes by my, by my clock, 19 minutes where I needed to say, this message is over. Now, I said to, uh, I said to our church recently, but if I ever preach a message that's 19 minutes long, uh, something bad has happened because I can't even sneeze in 19 minutes. But uh, uh, for somehow, some way, I found a way to preach that message in 19 minutes. I left during the invitation time. We jumped in the car. But I realized that I had severely miscalculated. And I realized I am going to be late for my flight. I'm going to be late for my check-in. Not only am I going to be late for my check-in, I'm going to be late for the flight itself. And I'm going to miss this flight, and I'm not going to be able to get home and preach on Sunday. I'm nine hours drive from home. What am I going to do? 
So the guy that's driving me, he's flying. And I'm thinking, now I'm praying, Lord, I just want to live. You know, we're flying down this road. And I, I didn't know what to do because I'm looking at my clock, at my watch saying, there's no way I'll make it. So here's what I did. I, I took out my phone and I called the airport. I've never done that before in my life. I called the airport. I, because when I left the airport, I noticed there was an information desk. I figured I'm going to get the lady at the information desk. So sure enough, she picks up, Traverse City Airport. I said, listen, I'm a, I'm a passenger on the American Airlines flight that's going out in just about 35 minutes. Could you do me a favor? Could you connect me with the gate agent? She said, no, we can't do that. I said, well, sure you can. I said, just look to your left. He's right over there. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know, who was, I don't know who was dumber, me or her, because she went and got him. She went and got him. She went and got this guy, came in, hello. And I said, hey, my name is Kurt Skelly. I'm on your flight. I know there's only like eight people on the whole flight. Listen, I'm a very loyal American Airlines customer. I'm going to get there just on time. Would you please hold the plane for me? Oh, sir, no, please, please. And I hung up. I'm thinking, well, there we go, you know. Cast your bread upon the water. And uh, I, I got to the airport. I am not making this up. I got to the airport. The guy is waiting. It's, it's cold. It's wintertime. He's waiting outside for me. Now, that's service. He's waiting outside for me. I get out of the car, jump out of the car. He grabs my bag. So not only is he waiting for me, he's carrying my bag. We grab the bag. We go into the airport. There's the TSA people. We walk right by the TSA people. If you ever want to blow up a plane, just be late, okay? Because I went right by. They didn't check my bag. I mean, nothing. We went right by the uh, TSA. We went down to the gate. He walked me onto the plane. I am not making this up. We get on the plane. The other seven passengers are there. They all clap like I'm some kind of celebrity. You're, yes, I'm here. You know, we sat down. It was such a good feeling to make it just in the nick of time. But I've had other experiences too. <laughs> and so have you. But I've had experiences where I've run down through that corridor in the airport. And just as I'm coming, no. And they shut the gate door. You know what I'm talking about? There's something about us that just loves to win by making it just in the nick of time. But you know, John chapter 11 tells a much different story. Because here's a faithful family who loves the Lord. Their brother is sick. They send a messenger to Jesus. It takes a day to travel from Bethany. No cell phones, no airmail, no email. No, they have to send a messenger from Bethany to Bethany just to get the message to Jesus. Jesus, it is urgent. You've got to come now. Why in the world would Jesus delay? Why would he say, I'm glad I wasn't there? I think you'll see by the end of the message. Would you consider with me, first of all, tonight, what I'll call the stated problem? What, what, what began this whole thing? What was the catalyst? What, what caused this whole situation to emerge? Well, look at John chapter 11 and verse number 1. I call this the stated problem. Verse number 1 again, the Bible says, Now a certain man was sick. There's the problem. There's the real concern. The real concern is that there's a man who is sick. And this is not just any sickness. Because if this were any sickness, if this were just a, a run-of-the-mill cold or some kind of a remedy that uh, could have been solved by the local pharmacy or the local doctor or some kind of home remedy, they never would have gone all the way to this Bethany to get Jesus to bring him back. 
No, the fact is uh, that he was sick. This must have been a real concern. Much like that woman in Capernaum that had that issue of blood for 12 years and had spent all of her money on the doctors and was none the better after 12 years and finally touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, I'm certain that Lazarus wasn't sick for 12 years, but it must have been so bad that the only option they had left was Jesus. And that's, by the way, that's not a bad thing. That when things get so bad, the, the only option you have is Jesus. And I think they're making a good choice by saying, there is no other hope we have, no other help we have but Jesus. So they send the messenger to Jesus. This was a real concern. But not only do I see that this was a real concern, I see that th- there was a relational connection. Look at verse number two. This was the Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment. Uh, this was the one that wiped his feet with her hair. These were, the, these were the people that had hosted Jesus on numbers of occasions. Uh, this was the same Mary that sat at Jesus' feet. This was the one that broke that alabaster box of ointment of spikenard. Very precious, very expensive, worth a year's wages. I mean, these were not run-of-the-mill people. Uh, th- no doubt these are people that are thinking, Lord, we know you. Lord, we know you. You're our friend. And when you have a tough time in your life, you don't call just anybody. You don't just randomly pull out the Rolodex. No, when you have a a problem in your life, you call people that you know will listen. When you have a problem in your life, you reach out to people that are true friends. Why? Because a friend walks in when the whole world walks out. Am I right about that? And so they are asking for the help of a friend. A friend sticketh closer than a brother is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Uh, There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. What a friend we have. So they're going to their friend. That's a good thing. And by the way, Jesus loves them. In fact, watch what they say in verse number 3. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, and watch their message. Here's their message. Lord, behold, he whom thou, what's the next word? Lovest. The one that you love, Lord, he whom thou lovest is sick. So here's the way they gave the message. They gave the message by saying, Lord, this is the one that you love. And the word love here is the word phileo. And what it means is, Lord, your buddy. What it means is your friend. The one that you love to hang out with. That's what that means. The one that that you spend time with. That person, he's sick and the implication's clear. Come help him. Come help him. Because when a friend has a need, you don't have to tell them how to fill the need. Just, hey, if you have a need, a friend meets it. That's, that's the point. So this is, a, this is a relational connection they have. It says uh, later on in verse number 5, now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And what's interesting is they said he loves Lazarus. And the Bible says, no, he loves all three of them. Because Jesus doesn't just love the person that's going through the trial. He loves the person that's watching the person go through the trial. Isn't that good? He loves them. And the word for love in verse 5 is the word agapao. That's the unfailing, unchanging, unflinching, infallible love of God. So would you say there's a relational connection here? Later in the passage, Jesus says to the disciples, okay, we're going to go now because our friend Lazarus is sleeping. Our friend. Our friend. So there's not just a connection to Jesus, but there's a connection to the disciple band themselves. Everybody knows this family. All the disciples love him. They're all friends with him. If anybody deserves the help of Jesus, it's Lazarus. I mean, Jesus has helped complete strangers. 
Jesus has reached out to people that are his enemies. I mean, you would think that a friend that has served him and loves him and whom he loves would be the first on the list. It's a problem, isn't it? A problem. There's a real concern. There's a relational connection. There's a regional complication. You say, what, what's that? Well, here in Bethany, uh, G- Jesus is in a different geopolitical sphere. He's, in the, uh, he's under the reign of Herod Antipas. He, he's out of Judea. He's out of Jerusalem. They want to kill him. He's safe now. He's across the border. Matter of fact, everything about this Bethany is better than that Bethany. It better weather. Right? Better results. And nobody's listening to him at that. They're, they're wanting to stone him over there. But here they're all listening. He's having great results. Everyone's following him. This is good here. A be- better weather, better results, uh, better protection. I mean, there's, there's no good reason to leave Bethany. Why would I leave many people for one person? Boy, this is a real problem, isn't it? So not only do I see a stated problem in verses 1 and 2, but notice verse number 3. And let's consider for just a moment the sister's prayer. How did they try to get Jesus to come? What was the heavy prayer upon their heart uh, that they asked Jesus about? Look at verse number 3. The sister's prayer. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, watch it, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The sister's prayer. You know what I find in the sister's prayer? I find a unified prayer. A unified prayer. You say, well, what's the deal there, Kurt? A unified prayer? Yeah, well, think about it. The last time these girls showed up in the Bible, which chronologically was Luke chapter 10, these girls weren't getting along <laughs> last time. Matter of fact, uh, they were kind of chippy toward each other. Now, you've never done that with your sister, okay? But, but they did. And remember Martha? She complained to Jesus, said, Jesus, you know, I'm really busy and would be really nice if she would help me, could you tell her to help me? Remember that whole thing? They were chippy, petty with each other. But you know what's interesting? When they have a problem common to both of them, all of a sudden they have, a unify, they have, a un, they have unity. You know, God does that. God does that in our family. He does that in our church. When we have a common enemy. By the way, we do have a common enemy. He's called the devil. We do have some common problems. It's called the world and the sin and, and the flesh. And we need to quit fighting with each other and be unified in our prayer to God. And so there's unity here. It's a unified prayer. But not only is it a unified prayer, it's an urgent prayer. It's an urgent prayer. He said, Lord, 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 behold. That's what the word means. Behold. Hey, stop and look at this. This is the one thing. This is the one thing on our mind. And the message is short. It's terse. Lord, behold. He whom thou lovest is sick. There's no more than, that's no other information. No explanatory material. That's it. You know why? It's that important. Nothing else needs to be said. This is that urgent. You know, when you get urgent in prayer, you don't pray long prayers. Have you ever been urgent before the Lord? Have you ever had a problem that was so unsolvable? You didn't take time to use all the flowery language that we use in church? You just prayed an oh God prayer? You just pray to help prayer. You ever been there? That's where they are. They're in help, Lord, urgent, Lord, need you, Lord. It's short, but it's sincere. And so here's a unified prayer. Here's an urgent prayer. And I'd say number three, it was an understood prayer. Jesus got it. No, Jesus always gets it. 
But the point was, their prayer was really an implication. They never said in their prayer, come help us. Because they felt they didn't need to say that. If they would just communicate the need, if they would just say what the problem was, if they would just tell Jesus who it was that was suffering, he's going to be there. I know he's going to show up. Jesus never fails. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never leave us or forsake us. I know that when the world walks out, he'll be there. And yet we begin the whole message by saying, I was glad that I wasn't there. What is going on? We see the stated problem in verses 1 and 2. We see the sister's prayer in verse number 3. Watch with me, thirdly, uh, tonight, what I'll call the Savior's perspective. That's what we need, by the way. We, we need to see the situation. Listen, we need to see the situation the way Jesus sees the situation. We need to see the situation the way Jesus sees the situation. You know what they call that? Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. Do you know what you lack? You lack what I lack, wisdom. And if any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and prayeth not, it should be given him. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You know your great need tonight is wisdom. You know my great need tonight is wisdom. Oh God, I need for you to show me what's really going on. Because sometimes on the hospital bed, I don't know what's really going on. Sometimes all I can compute is the pain I'm feeling. Sometimes the only thing I can think about is the person that betrayed me. Sometimes the only thing that's looming large in my mind is just how much this hurts. And what I really need is for Jesus to show me what's going on. And that's what he does here. Jesus shows them what's going on. I call it the Savior's perspective. Look at it. Verse number four. When Jesus heard that, and let's just stop there for a moment. When Jesus heard that, aren't you glad that when you send a request out, he hears that? He hears us. And so the Bible says, when Jesus heard that, he said. Now here's the perspective, ready? This sickness is not unto death. Well, I've read the story, and so have you, and Lazarus does die. In fact, we read the verse a moment ago, verse 14, Jesus emphatically and plainly says to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. So which is it? So which is it, Jesus? Is it the sickness is not unto death, or is it that he died? Because they can't both be true, or can they? And of course they can because Jesus doesn't contradict himself. The point is this. This, sick, this sickness is not going to result in ultimate death. I'm going to do something. and it, it, I'm going to do something so mind-blowing. Watch this. This sickness is not unto death. So what's it for then? Because sometimes in our life we're trying to figure out, Lord, why? What, why? Why are bad things happening to good people? You know what's happening in this passage? Bad things Sickness is bad. It's part of the curse, right? Bad things are happening to good people. And sometimes our temptation, like the disciples in John 9, is to say, well, who sinned? This man or his parents? Like, what did this person, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? Sometimes we say that, right? But sometimes nothing. Do you know that sometimes God just allows bad things to happen because against the backdrop of that bad thing, 
God can show himself strong in ways that he could not and would not have otherwise shown himself. So this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. You know what I call this? A clarifying declaration. Jesus is making a clarifying declaration in verse number 4. This sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. Watch this. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So how does God, the triune God, receive glory? In and through the elevation of, in and through the magnification of Jesus Christ. Lift him higher. Lift him higher. Lift him up for the whole world to see, right? When we magnify Christ, we glorify God. What did Paul say? Paul said, so now also uh, that Christ might be magnified, made bigger in my life, whether by life or by, by death. Lord, I just want whatever I'm going through, even if it's being in prison undeservedly, Lord, I just want whatever's going on in my life, even if it's a thorn in my flesh, Lord, I just want whatever's going on in my life to make Christ bigger in the eyes of other people. Maybe that's what God's doing in your sickness. Maybe, that God, maybe that's what God's doing in that situation that you have asked God a thousand times to take away. Right? It's a clarifying declaration. God wants to get glory in your situation. And sometimes he gets glory in the situations in which we suffer. That's, that's what the sickness is for. But not only do I see a, a clarifying declaration in verse number 4... Watch in verse number 5 what I'll call a contextualizing detail. Verse number 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha. Now, what's interesting about verse number 5 is this is the commentator speaking. This is John who's writing the book of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's adding this fact. Because as he's telling the story, retelling the story, he says, now, it's important for the reader to understand that Jesus loves Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Now why? Why would he give that contextualizing detail? Here's why. Because the next verse is going to be really confusing. And what John wants you to know, what the Holy Spirit wants you to know through John, is that, uh, that God loves you. And sometimes the circumstances of your life will scream at you and say he doesn't. And sometimes the adversity of your life will scream at you and say, God doesn't love you, but I want you to understand in the core of who you are tonight, God loves you. And his love is not for grabs. It's the agapao, unfailing, unchanging, unflinching love of God. Agapao, I love you. So we see a, a, clarifying, a clarifying declaration, a, a contextualizing detail, but watch number three, what I'll call a confusing delay. Verse number 6, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick. So now that Jesus has heard the message, now that Jesus has often these words of clarification and contextualization, watch what happens in verse number 6. And when Jesus heard all that, he got on the next train and went. Is that what it says? Well, Jesus heard all that. He dropped everything and, and got on the road to help Lazarus as soon as he possibly could. I mean, this was an ASAP situation. That's not what happened. Matter of fact, watch the confusion. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. You know what Jesus did when he heard this really urgent message? Nothing. 
Have you ever prayed an urgent prayer to the Lord and felt as if Jesus is doing nothing? Because that's what's happening here. That's why it was important that he contextualized that detail. I love you. Rest not in what I do. Rest in who I am. Don't look at your circumstance. Don't look at the love of God through your circumstance. But look at your circumstance through the love of God. You see the difference? Know that the, th the unchangeable thing is God's love. The changeable thing is your circumstance. So learn to look through the lens of God's love at your circumstance instead of looking at, your, uh, look, looking at God through the, through the marred, smudged lens, uh, the God's love through the marred, smudged lens of your circumstances. What's so important? So what have we learned tonight? We've learned that there's a real problem. It's the stated problem. It's a real concern. We've learned that these sisters have offered this prayer, this unified, urgent prayer. Lord, you understand? You understand? Come on. We need you right now. But the Lord has given us his perspective and said, I'm doing something bigger here. I'm using this sickness. I'm using this situation to give God glory in ways that you don't understand yet. It's for your good. It's for his glory. Now, I love you. Listen, I love you. But it's going to be really confusing for a season. Does that all make sense? So what then is Jesus' suggested plan? Because we can't be here forever. So, Lord, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're trying to accomplish in this situation? How will this redound to the glory of God? What is the suggested plan that Jesus finally offers in closing? Look at verse number 7, and we'll finish it up. The suggested plan. Would you look at verse number 7? Then, after that, after the two-day hiatus, after the two-day delay, after this time of murkiness and confusion, then after that, saith he to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, put yourself in Peter, James, John, and the rest of their shoes. Put yourself in their shoes. Last time they were in Judea, they were kicked out of town. Last time they were in Judea, six short weeks ago, okay, they, were, they, they had taken them stones to stone them. So now Jesus said, hey, let's go back to the place where they hate us and they want to kill us. Well, look at verse number, verse number 8. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews, saw, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Lord, why in the world would you want to go back there? By the way, that's why the Lord doesn't always tell us what he's going to do in our situations. Because if the Lord told you what he was going to do in your situation, you wouldn't believe him anyway. Right, so the Lord's going to do something here about the situation that they cannot envision. It, it's seemingly dangerous. And can I just say this? Sometimes God leads us to places that are seemingly dangerous. We had a young lady in our church this morning going to the mission field, and she's going to a, 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 an access country where you can't give your name, and it's just... But I love her perspective. She said, no, the safest place for me to be in my life is right in the middle of God's will. 
The safest place for those disciples to be in the storm was in a little rickety boat as long as Jesus was in it, right? It's, it's not the storm, it's the Savior. It's the will of God. And so although this was seemingly dangerous, I want you to notice verse number 8 of our text. We saw it, verse number 9, where Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? This was a common metaphor in those days. Well, there's 12 hours in a day. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not. If you're going to do work, do work while it's light out. If you're going to plow the field, plow it when it's light out. If you're going to take a journey, take a journey while it's light out. That way you won't stumble. Because he sees the light of this world. The sun is up. There's 12 hours in a day to get your work done. It's a metaphor for life. Your life, the, while you're alive, that's like the daytime. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 9, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. We work in the day, the daylight of our life. So Jesus is saying, isn't it dangerous? They said to Jesus to go there. Jesus said, no, I've got a certain amount of daylight that my father's given me. And I know exactly how long that is. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm immortal in the will of God. Look at verse number 9 again. Verse number 10. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbles. Because there is no light. Now watch it. There's no light in him. See how Jesus flipped the metaphor? He's not just talking about physical light and physical darkness. He's talking about spiritual light and spiritual darkness. Because it's night that's in him. What Jesus is saying in verses number uh, 8 and 9 is he's saying, the decision I'm making is a spiritual decision based upon the light that my Father has given me. It's a decision I'm making in concert with what God wants me to do. You say, well, Kurt, can I do that in my life? Of course you can. The Bible says, walk in the light. We're children of light. Put on the armor of light. And how do we do that? By getting in the Word of God. Uh, thy Word is light. It's the Word of God that gives us light for decision making. It's the Word of God that helps us to understand the plan of God and the wishes of God and the will of God and the direction of God. And we need to make spiritual decisions, especially when our circumstances are arguing against it. And so while this was a seemingly dangerous plan, it was really a plan that involved making the right spiritual decisions. Can I just say that if you're struggling in your life right now with, with what to do because you're in a bad spot, this is a time for you to be hypersensitive to what God's Word says. This is a time in your life to be hypersensitive to what the light of God is in your life. Don't make a decision in the dark. Don't make a decision without counsel, without the word of God, without godly friends, without asking for God's wisdom. You make sure you get the light to shine on your decision making. Especially during days like this. That's what Jesus is teaching them. It's a seemingly dangerous decision, but it's a spiritual decision. And then watch this thirdly. It's a decision with a supernatural design. The, the plan that Jesus has, watch this now. I'm going to end with this. The plan that Jesus has is one that has a supernatural design. Now, would you just hang with me for one more moment and look, please, at verse number 11. So what is Jesus doing? That's the big question. Like, why would Jesus say, I'm glad I didn't show up? I mean, why? What, what, what are you possibly doing? I mean, this is pretty an open, shut case, Jesus. You got somebody that loves you. You love him. He's got a sickness. You're really good at healing sickness. Just heal him. 
What else could possibly be going on? Jesus said, let me tell you, the glory of God, the magnification of Christ. Let me just show you the supernatural design, the multi-layered thing that I'm doing in this situation. Look, look at verse number 11. Almost done. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Our friend Lazarus, he's sleeping. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Lazarus is sleeping, I'm going to go wake him up. Well, that, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> Why would you leave a safe place to go just wake somebody up? His disciples said, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. I mean, if you're sleeping, that's a good thing. Amen. Sunday afternoon nap people. If you're sleeping, that's a good thing, especially if you're sick. If you're sick and you sleep, that's a really good thing because your body rests and recuperates with sleep. So the disciples say the obvious thing. Well, Lord, if he's sleeping, don't wake him up. Sleep is good. Leave him alone. See, they're thinking on a physical plane. He's speaking on a spiritual plane. Watch what Jesus says. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought he was spoken of taking of rest and sleep. So Jesus said unto them plainly, no, guys, no, no, guys, Lazarus is dead. Well, wait a minute. What do they now know? What do they now know? If Jesus said, we're going to go wake him up. Well, he, he, don't wake him up if he's sleeping. No, no, no. I'm, he's dead. I'm going to wake him up. Oh. Oh. Now they know. You're going to raise him from the dead. You're going to wake him up. Well, Peter, James, and John were there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Uh, the whole disciple band was there when Jesus touched that casket in the little village of Nain and the widow's son was raised from the dead. They were there, so they knew he could do it. Oh, oh, oh. And where does God get greater glory? In the healing of a sickness, which he's done a thousand times? Or the raising of someone from the dead, not who's just died, like Jairus' daughter. Not who's just died, like the widow of Nain's son. No, but someone who's been dead by the time he gets there for four days. This is going to be amazing. So what's the supernatural design? I think, first of all, he is going to conduct a miracle. And this miracle is going to be the miracle. You're going to find it. The miracle that makes his enemies say, we want him dead. And makes all the other people say, we now believe him. It's the catalytic Miracle in his life. Wow. Oh, God, you're doing something so much bigger than I ever thought you were doing. Right? He's conducting a miracle. But not only that, he's comforting Mary and Martha. Not only is he conducting this miracle, but he's comforting Mary and Martha. Because he's going to go there and they're going to say to him, Jesus, where were you? Just like you would say. Where were you? And if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, is that true? Yes. It is true. If he showed up, Lazarus wouldn't have died. That's why Jesus said, I'm glad I didn't show up. Because I wanted to do something bigger than you asked me to do. Now think about that. Because I wanted to do something bigger than you asked me to do. He does exceeding abundantly above all that we, what? Ask or what? Think. See, we think that we know what we need in our situation. And what Jesus says, you don't even know what you need. 
And I'm going to do something bigger than what you even asked for. And I'm going to get more glory to myself and to my name. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle this thing in a way that you can't even fathom. I'm going to conduct a miracle. I'm going to comfort Mary and Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you think that's big? Wow. So he conducts a miracle. He comforts Mary and Martha. And then he convinces many. Because the Bible says in chapter 11, verse 45, that many of the Jews. Which Jews? The same ones that just a few weeks before didn't believe on him. The same ones that just a few weeks before said, we reject him as Messiah. Those same Judean Jews now believe on him. All because one guy got sick and Jesus didn't show up. So what is it right now in your life that you're question marking? What is it right now in your life you're like, Lord, I just don't get why you won't. And Jesus has reasons for his wants. He has reasons for his delays. And Jesus is always, in his time, on time. I'll close with this. I was, uh, during COVID, didn't know what to do with myself. You know, I'm just always going, going, and COVID slowed us all down. Guys began to call me, pastors began to call me. Hey, can you help me with this or can we talk about this? Would you pray with me about this? And I had one guy call me and he said, can, can we have an appointment time on the phone? I said, sure. I didn't know what Zoom was until COVID. Now we all know what Zoom is. Zoom, 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 Zoom. Remember that show? So I'm Zooming. So I, I'm going to call him on such and such day at 9 o'clock. Great. I said, I'll call you. Because sometimes I get distracted and, and I, I'm late, but I'm going to call you at 9. So we set up the appointment and we're supposed to get on the Zoom call. And I got on the Zoom call and I'm going to call him tell him I'm ready. So I call him, no answer. It's not on Zoom, didn't log in, doesn't answer his phone. It's 9 o'clock. I mean, the audacity of this guy, right? I mean, he asked me for advice. I'm calling him. He doesn't answer his phone. He just blows me off. I wait 15 minutes, I wait 20 minutes, I wait a half hour, I'm done. That's it, fine, no problem. I go on, I'm working. About an hour and a half later, I get a phone call from this guy. I, I thought about not answering it. You know, I mean, come on, he didn't answer my call. I'm not going to answer his call. But, but I'm a nice guy, so I answered the call. He said, Pastor Kelly, I'm so sorry. He said, I'm on the West Coast. <laughs> Hit me at once. Oh, yeah, duh. He's West Coast. He's three hours before me. I called him at six in the morning. And then I was the one that felt bad. Because I didn't realize that he was on a different time zone. You know what we need to realize tonight? Jesus is on a different time zone. He's not late. No, he's right on time. But he's right on his time. And we need to understand his time is the right time. Father, thank you for this great bunch tonight that has come out on a cold, dark night. Lord, we feel the light of the Lord. We feel the warmth of your word. And we're looking forward to what this truth, these truths, can do to strengthen us and to motivate us. Lord, I don't know who's going through what. 
I don't know who is a Mary and a Martha sitting on the sidelines watching someone else go through it. But Lord, you know and you love. And you've got it all under control. And there's a supernatural design that you're working. Lord, would you increase our faith? Would you give us wisdom? You've asked us, you've told us to, to ask for wisdom. We're doing that right now, Lord. Give us wisdom. Oh God, tonight, help us to thank you even for those episodes when it seems as if you're not there, you didn't show up. Lord, teach us tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, the piano music's playing. Hey, wouldn't it be a good thing in a moment when we stand together? I'm not sure what you normally do on a Sunday night, but I think it'd be appropriate if we just spend some time with the Lord. We won't make it lengthy. But if God has spoken to your heart, maybe it's you, maybe you're Lazarus. Maybe you're Mary and Martha and you're sitting alongside of Lazarus. Maybe you've been confused and even questioned. Boy, tonight's a great clarification, not from me, not from me, but from God's holy word. And wouldn't it be good tonight if we just told the Lord about that, asked him for wisdom, garnered some strength, and left this room renewed tonight. What a great thing. So in a moment, we're going to stand together. The music's playing. Our musicians will play and sing. But if God's spoken to your heart, wherever you are, the back of the room, in the middle of the row, wherever you are, why don't you just come and spend some time with the Lord? you're embarrassed about coming to an altar, that's okay. Just pray right there in your seat. But as God has spoken to your heart tonight, let's do what God has told us to do. Father, would you bless this invitation? We're grateful for the opportunity to come, to come unto you. We're laboring. We're heavy laden. We need your rest. Oh God, tonight help us. Bless us. Help us. Bless this invitation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Musicians are playing. You come if God leads you tonight. What gift of grace is Jesus' mine?